morning, everyone. I invite you to open up your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 4. We'll come to the end of chapter 4 this morning, turning our attention to verses 17 through 19 in particular. We'll start at verse 12 for more context. As we come to these verses for this morning, Pastor Ron's picture of trusting the judgment of your parents when it's time to come in at night is one that is very appropriate. For here in verses 12 through 19, we have Peter's teaching on how we are to trust the Lord. To trust the Lord when He does things in our lives, when He brings things into our lives that we don't understand, that are hard for us, that we would reject, that we would turn away from, but having a heart of one who trusts God as a loving Father. And that though there are times He calls us to things that we would not choose for ourselves, there are times when He asks us to do things that we would not do on our own. To walk a path that we would not walk unless He called us to it. That we each, as His children, are called to trust His judgment. So hear now the word of the Lord, beginning in verse 12 of 1 Peter chapter 4. Beloved, Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer, or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, Let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful Creator while doing good. This is God's holy word for us, His people. Let us pray. Father God, we come now to Your Word desiring to be trained, to be taught, to be encouraged, to be lifted up. We pray, Father, that we would receive Your Word as truth. That we would receive it in faith and love. Even now as we hear Your Word, that we would lay it up in our hearts. And we pray, O God, that we would go forth from this place, practicing it in our lives, that You might be honored and glorified. We pray it through Christ's holy name. Amen. I think we all understand that it's difficult to trust somebody else's judgment. And yet, if we are to receive the blessing of others, we must be willing to do just that. Right? If you want to receive expert health care, you have to rely upon your doctor's judgments about what is best for you. If you want to work in a corporation of any type, you have to trust your manager or your CEO's business expertise. 
If you want to do something as simple as ride the bus, you have to trust the driver to make judgments that are going to affect your well-being. Yet unless we are willing to trust the judgments of others, we'll never be able to receive the blessing of their knowledge and expertise. If you don't trust the pilot, you'll never fly anywhere. If you don't trust the church, you'll never have the blessing of church life. If you never trust the Lord's judgment, you will never enjoy the blessings of His fatherly care and purifying work. In this letter, Peter is addressing a church which has come under persecution. We have seen that week after week. They have had to endure hardships and struggles because of their proclamation of faith in Jesus Christ. And yet Peter continually points them to trust the Lord in the process of suffering as a Christian. For the hardships they endure are not ultimately controlled by their enemies, but rather they are from the very hand of God. And here is the question. Are we willing to trust the judgment of God? Are we willing to submit to the Lord's refining fire? Are we willing to entrust the future of our souls to God, even if it means hardship now? And this is what the Word of God is calling to us this morning. Are you willing to trust the judgment of the Lord, even when you don't understand His way? Are you willing to trust that the hardships He brings are for your good and for His glory? And what we will see is that if we would know the blessing of God's salvation in Christ, then we must trust His judgment through Christ. Now the first and most important earthly relationship of trust that we form is that with our parents. It's vital to the health and the development of an infant to form a bond with her mother, to know that her needs will be taken care of, to feel that she does not need to worry or fret because she will be taken care of, she will be provided for. But a healthy relationship between a child and her parents must grow. It must grow beyond the point of her needs just always immediately being met. For she must begin to trust her parents to withhold what she wants so that she might receive what she needs. To withhold candy that she might receive a nutritious dinner. To withhold TV so that she can get a good night's rest. To withhold a party with friends that she might receive the nurture of a night with the family. And in a similar fashion, we must understand that the hardships that we endure as Christians are the judgments of the Lord upon His own household for their good. That is, as God's children, we must trust the discipline that He brings upon His own household. Look at verse 16 and 17. There we read, Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For... It is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. There are a few things that we need to understand about this text. First, what does Peter mean by the household of God? Well, earlier in 1 Peter chapter 2, we saw that we Christians are being built up as a spiritual house 
for God. That is, He has formed those who are in Christ into a people for His own possession. We are born into this household as His children. We also see within these two verses a parallel between the phrases in verse 16, suffers as a Christian, and in verse 17, judgment to begin at the household of God. You see the parallel between those two things. Christian and household of God suffer and judgment. You see, it is the visible gathering of God's people who have been joined together into a spiritual family through the new birth given by God that constitutes this household of God. So what is happening to God's children? To those brought into His household? Well, the text says that they are receiving judgment. Now that seems surprising, isn't it? That the judgment begins with the household of God. Judgment begins with us Christians. We are receiving God's judgment. Or as verse 16 says, we are suffering. You see, we have seen this throughout our study of 1 Peter. As chapter 1 says, God judges impartially. And verse 6 of chapter 4, all are judged in the flesh. We have also seen that suffering is not something that is strange or something that we Christians should be surprised at or ashamed of. But rather, suffering is God's instrument of testing and purification. You see, judgment means the purging of sin by God's righteous work. And God in His wisdom has decided that judgment against sin and the ways of the flesh must begin with His own children. It must begin with His own house. And so as a father disciplines his children for their good, so too does God discipline the church that she might grow in purity and holiness. Out of his deep love for his people, he burns away the impurities of their faith so that his glory might shine forth more brightly. And Peter is explaining that every Christian must trust God's decision to begin the judgment against sin in his very house. For God's plan of redemption is to end the power of sin. And this judgment began on the cross. You see, the judgment that we see against sin began when the wrath of God against sin was poured out upon His own Son, His only begotten Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And in his body, he suffered the just penalty for sin. Though he was without sin, he became sin by taking on all the transgressions of the people of God and suffered the righteous judgment of God. For it was God's decision to begin in his own house, starting with his own son. Why? So that all who come to Christ in faith would be free from sin's guilt and sin's power. The relationship that the church has with God through Jesus Christ means that judgment begins with us, but that it ends in glory and salvation. Yes, we have hardship now as we endure the refining fire. 
But we do it with the confidence that we are loved by the Father, that we are in union with the Son, that we have the blessing of the Spirit. And so we must trust God's judgment that begins with His household. As the author to the book of Hebrews writes, Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they, that's the fa- our earthly fathers, disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But He disciplines us for our good that we may share His holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. You see, God's judgment against sin begins in His own household. It begins first with His Son, then all who are united to His Son through faith. But it is judgment that produces holiness. It is judgment that produces righteousness. It is not a sign of rejection, but rather it is a sign that we have been adopted into the family of God and our Father is disciplining us with love. We might not understand why the Lord has brought particular hardships into our lives, but we must trust His judgment upon His household as good. Yet the judgment upon those outside the house of God is coming. It begins with the house of God for holiness, that we might be freed from sin but it will come upon the wicked for condemnation. And Peter is calling us to trust God in His judgment of the ungodly. Look at the second half of verse 17 into 18. It says, And if it, that's the judgment, begins with us, with God's house, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the Gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Peter asks two rhetorical questions here. That is, he asks two questions that he expects that we can supply the answer to. What will become of those who do not obey the gospel? What will become of the ungodly, even if God's children must go through judgment? And I think that we can supply the answer. If such a great work as the cross, the death of the Son of God was required to save God's people, then there is nothing that will save those who reject the Gospel. They will be lost. They will die the second death. Or as Paul says in 2 Thessalonians, that when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire, that He will inflict vengeance upon those who do not know God and those who do not obey the Gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. You see, God's household will be saved through the judgment in Jesus Christ. 
But all of those who are outside of Christ, all who do not obey the gospel, who do not submit in faith to the gospel, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction, the unquenchable flames of hell itself. And we must trust God's judgment of the wicked. As Peter is writing this letter, we have to remember that he is communicating with those who are receiving persecution and hardship from the hands of the ungodly and the wicked. They've lost jobs. They've been harassed. They've been beaten. Some will lose their lives. Some will lose their spouses. Some will even lose their children at the hands of these wicked men. And it must have been very discouraging to see the wicked flourish while the church struggled. But Peter is saying to the church, we must not seek vengeance, but rather we must trust the Lord's judgment of the wicked. Yes, they seem to flourish now, but we can perceive the end of the wicked. For the afflictions of the church are but for a moment, but the punishment of the wicked is for eternity. And if you have suffered at the hands of another, you must trust the Lord's future judgment. You must release the anger and the desire for vengeance that you have. You must forgive and in the ways that are possible to you, you must seek for the salvation of those who have sinned against you that they might be saved in Christ. For vengeance does not belong to us, but it belongs to the Lord. Yet, I think for many of us, our trust of God's judgment needs to address a different objection. You see, we must come to terms with the reality of eternal punishment of those that we don't believe deserve such an end. I think that of all the clear teachings of Scripture, the crystal clear teachings of Scripture, the doctrine of hell is the most difficult emotionally for me to accept. It's hard for me to trust God's judgment of the wicked. For like each of you here, I have heroes that are not Christian. I have friends that do not know Christ. I have family members who do not obey the Gospel of God. They have not placed their faith in Christ. And many of them, by the world's standards, would be called good people. And yet, each and every one of us must trust that God's judgment will be just and that it will be right. We have to be able to echo the words of Abraham as he said when he prayed for God's mercy upon the people of Sodom. As he called out for God's mercy upon this city that was so wicked, he said, shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? Shall not God do what is just? Will he not execute justice in every single 
And will we not trust the Creator of all man to do what is right and fair and good in His judgments even when we don't understand them? For He has the right, as God's Word says, to show mercy upon whom He pleases and He has the right to harden whom He pleases. He has the right to make one vessel for glory and another vessel for destruction. Would we put ourselves in the place of God and decide who deserves life and who deserves death? Or will we trust the judge and the creator of all man and of all the earth to do what is right? Will we yield to His wisdom, to His compassion, to His justice, and trust the Lord's judgment of those who do not obey the Gospel? Of Christ. You see, to trust the judgment of God, we must trust His judgment that begins with His own house. We must trust His judgment of those outside of His house. And finally, we must trust His judgment in our very own lives. You see, you might be able to think of the judgment of the Lord through abstract means. Think of the implications of God's judgment upon the house of God and upon the wicked. But then we need to get down to the concrete question. Are you willing to trust the judgment of God on your own soul? Peter says in verse 19, if you look there. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Now we have already seen the parallel between the concepts of suffering and judgment in verses 16 and 17. So we see that those who suffer according to God's will are those who have submitted to the judgment of God upon his own household. In verse 12 of chapter 4, we saw this same experience being called a fiery trial, a refining fire by the Lord. You see, the reality of sin and death means that everyone, all of us, will endure the pain of God's work to end the effects of sin. Because sin has had such an effect on our hearts and our bodies that the burning away of sin's power is painful. It's hard to be refined by fire. It is difficult to go through pain and loss. But are we willing to trust a God who calls us to walk through the fire? Are we willing to believe that if He brings to you cancer, if He brings to you blindness, if He brings to you relational tension, if He brings to you financial crisis, if He brings to you chronic pain, if He brings to you a spouse with dementia, if He brings to you a child with weakness, are you willing to suffer according to His will? Are you willing to trust your life to God and say, God, I do not understand the reason that you have brought me to this trial, but I will walk through this fire if you desire me to do so. Can you trust God's judgment for your life even when you don't understand His reasons? Even when you disagree with His designs? This is what it means to entrust your soul to God. To believe that through Jesus Christ, the judgment and the suffering that we endure now are not signs of God's wrath against us, but a witness that God is on our side 
and that the fire is for our good. You see, God has made a promise to those who are in Jesus Christ. A promise of forgiveness. A promise of His presence. A promise of eternal life. And the question is, are you willing to believe the promise? Not just when all is outwardly well, but when the fires of suffering seem to overcome you, do you entrust your soul to God's judgment? Jenny Owens was born with poor eyesight. And by the age of three, she had gone completely blind. As she tells the story, she did not allow her blindness to keep her from having a relatively normal childhood. She says that she climbed trees with her brother. She played with the kids in the neighborhood. She said she even could ride a bike and roller skate down steep hills. But at some point, she says, in the middle of grade school, she realized how different she was and how her difference made others uncomfortable. As she went through high school and into college, she began to be more introverted, shy, self-conscious about the disability that God had given her. Nevertheless, she worked hard to to earn her degree in music education. And following graduation, she went out to become a high school music teacher. But she endured another challenge and disappointment stemming from her blindness. For no administrator was willing to hire a blind music teacher. How would she instruct if she couldn't see the music? How would she handle a class if she couldn't see what the students were doing? And again, she realized that her blindness made her different. And she wondered, why, Lord, have you given to me this burden? And she began to despair and ask in the midst of her trial, God, I know that you have led me to this place. You have given me this hardship. But I know you've also led me to this to this background in music. How will you bring these things together? While she was struggling with all of these doubts, a member of her church who had heard her sing during a service asked if she had ever considered going into music professionally. At first, she balked at the idea of being a singer or a songwriter. But after recording a few of her songs, she was quickly picked up by Michael W. Smith's record label, Rocket Records. And over the years, Jenny Owens has written and recorded several award-winning songs, and her testimony has been used to inspire thousands. You see, never could she have imagined that the Lord would use her blindness to lead her into a career of professional music. But He had a plan for her trial. He had a purpose for her blindness. In one of her more powerful songs, she expresses the heart of what it means to trust the judgment of the Lord. She writes, The pathway is broken And the signs are unclear. And I don't know the reason why you brought me here. But just because you love me the way that you do, I'm going to walk through the valley if you want me to. Because I'm not who I was when I took my first step. And I'm clinging to the promise that you're not through with me yet. So if all of these trials bring me closer to you, then I will go through the fire if you want me to. 
And when the whole world turns against me and I'm all by myself and I can't hear you answer my cries for help, I'll remember the suffering your love put you through and I will go through the darkness if you want me to. And when I cross over Jordan, I'm going to sing, I'm going to shout. I'm going to look into your eyes and see you never let me down. So take me on the pathway that will lead me home to you. And I will walk through the valley if you want me to. What darkness, what fire, what valley has the Lord called you to walk through in this life? Are you willing in childlike faith to trust the judgment of your loving Father and say, I will walk through the blindness. I will walk through the fear. I will walk through the cancer. I will walk through the disappointment. I will walk through the pain. I'll walk through the loneliness. I'll walk through the loss and the hardship. Lord, I will walk through the fire. If that is your good and righteous judgment, I will walk through the valley if you want me to. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we come to You. And though verses that speak of suffering and hardship and judgment are difficult, we thank You, O God, that You have given to us such assurance. For though on the outside we can paint a a picture of a life that is free of suffering, each one here knows of a hardship and a struggle. We pray, O Lord, that those who are in Christ would know that this is not your judgment of condemnation, but the loving discipline of a father upon his household, preparing us for the eternal weight of glory. Father, we pray that by the power of Your Spirit and the encouragement of Your Word, we would walk through the trials with hope and faith in Christ. It's in His name that we do pray. Amen.